Okay. Well, I don't know if you all know me, but my name is Gina. And um, yes, I'm married to Pastor Andy. And um, I'm also a mom. And um, I have five children, and three are adults. And um, one's nearly an adult, and one thinks she's an adult. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I've been a mother for 26 years. That is a long time to do anything, right? And I remember the day uh, when I had my very first child. And I remember um, up till the point when the, ac the child actually came out, um, I was my own person, you know? I could do anything I want, and, and I could go anywhere I want, and I could, uh, you know, if I wanted to sit on the couch and relax, I could do that. I could take a nap whenever I wanted, eat whenever I wanted. But the minute this baby came out, and I had this child, right, my whole entire life changed in like an instant, right? I never ate another hot meal again. <laughs> My house was messy every day. I was exhausted beyond anything I could ever imagine. I know every uh, mom of, a, of an infant knows that, right? I uh, saw too many uh, midnight hours, more than I could uh, care to say that I, I've seen, but I have. Um, and, uh, you know, just life instantly changed. Just absolutely, instantly. I looked around at the terrain of my life, and I was like, whew, this is overwhelming. This is different, and this is my life. <laughs> and I adapted. I changed to that because that was the way my life had now become. And then something else happened. They started growing up, and three of my children have flown the nest, and they went on to Bible school, and they actually live abroad, so they're not even, they're not even with me anymore um, in England. And two of them are married. And so, yeah, so they left me. And um, <laughs> I know, it's like, why would you leave your mother? Why would you do that? <laughs> Isn't it I'm not enough for you? <laughs> um, but the thing is, this is what I remember. I remember a specific thing. When my third, third of my uh, five children um, left, I remember she was going to Bible school in America. This wasn't very long ago a year ago, and we drove her to the airport, like even up to that very morning, I'm cooking breakfast, packing a little lunch, making everything, doing everything, you got everything, is everything in the suitcase, you know, and then I'm doing the whole mom thing, because you know, that's the mode I'm in. Then we get in the car, we drive off to the airport, there I am again, did you do this, you got that, everything, where's your paperwork, where's your passport, you got it, you know, like, like a mom does. And we get, we get there, we, we walk her all the way through to the gate, hugs, kisses, oh, goodbye, goodbye. She goes through, and that's it. She went through to the other side. We walk back to the car. We get in the car. We start driving down the road. And I felt absolutely numb. Absolutely numb. And I'd love to say it was because I really, really missed her, like was going to miss her. <laughs> but it was because I had this overwhelming, weird feeling where I felt a little lost. I just thought, oh, I just feel like my arm's been cut off or something. I just feel so weird, you know? This, this, this wow, you know? Because she really consumed a lot of my time <laughs> and, and a lot of my energies, which I loved. And I, I you know, I, I love everything about that. But I just felt a little lost. And um, 
And just so you know that this is not going to be a talk about empty nest syndrome or, or the, 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 um, you know, the musings of a middle-aged woman and let me tell you what I'm going through. This is not what this is about because, you see, I felt this before when I was a lot younger. So I remember feeling this lost kind of feeling. This, that's the way I, I can explain it. This is, if, if you were to say to me in that moment, how you feeling? I'd say, I feel a little lost, actually. So that was my explanation. But I felt this before. I felt this when I was about 17 years old, okay? And I was coming to the end of my schooling years. In America, it's a little different. So it would be like I was at the end of college, what you call college here, you know, just before a, a, a someone would go off to uni, you know? And... Um, so up to the point of 17 years old, I felt like I had this carefree, wonderful, beautiful childhood. And I was just enjoying my life. I was just a kid and I was loving it. Um, I wasn't one of these kids who was trying to be older like you see a lot of young kids now because I didn't have internet and all that. I didn't know to do that, you know? I really was just a kid. I mean, I was even telling someone the other day that I had a doll when I was 13. Now, I didn't really play with the doll, but I had a doll. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I was a kid, you know? And I was 17 at this point, and this question started. You know what the question is. So what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? And I was like, wait a minute, I'm just a kid. but. Actually, at that age, I was just being thrust into adulthood. Are you going to get a job? Are you going to get an apprenticeship? You're going to go to uni? What are you going to do? What is the thing you're going to do that you're going to do for the rest of your life until you die? That's another way to word that question, isn't it? Right? And so I was overwhelmed, and I felt a little lost again because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I would not really thought about it, you know, but it was hitting me, and it was hitting me hard, and yes, I felt a little bit lost. And I want to say that it wasn't just me in my life who's ever felt that. I know that there are a lot of other people who had been feeling that, because in the last maybe month, I've spoken to a young lady who went to college, in what English college, she's got to the end of her studies, and she said to me, she said, you know what? I studied something at college and I hate it now. And I don't want to do that with the rest of my life. And I don't know now what to do with the rest of my life because college sets you up for uni, doesn't it? So you study what you study at college, which then gets you all ready for uni. She's like, I don't want to do this. I hate it and I'm scared. And I feel a little lost. And I spoke to another lady. She was a lady who just had a baby, so she, she had an infant at home. And she said, oh, I'm overwhelmed. She said, I just feel cut off from the world. She said, you know, I have a college degree. She's a university degree. She said, but I'm, I'm at home here wiping spit and changing nappies. What is my life? This, I don't understand this. I feel a little lost. Then I spoke to an elderly gentleman. He'd lost his wife. He'd been married many, many, many years. And he lost his wife she died and he was thinking about the future and he said I, I don't know that there's anything in the future for me am I going to ever be happy again am I ever going to have true joy in my life ever again I don't know I don't know what the future holds I'm a little scared I'm a little lost and then I had a conversation with another woman and her marriage is failing and she believes that they're going to break up and that it's not going to work out and she's scared she's scared for her family She's scared for her future, and she said, I've, I've not been single in so many years. I don't even know what that's like anymore. I've never been a single parent. I don't know what that's like. I'm, I'm a little lost. I'm a little scared. I don't know what's next. I don't know. It's, I feel like I'm in a, in a cloud in the darkness. I don't know what steps to take next.
You know, and <clears throat> these, are, these are things that people go through every day. These are actual real people that I've spoke to. And you should know they are Christians, these ones that I spoke to. These are people who love God. Here are some other scenarios. Um, I haven't met these kind of people, but I'm just saying these are the kind of things people go through every day where they then don't know what to do. They feel a little lost. Have you um, lost a job? Or maybe you've entered into retirement and it's all brand new, you know? Or maybe you've moved house, moved location far away from friends and family, a little disorienting, don't know you know, what's going on, or I don't even know anybody here. I feel so lonely. How about when unforeseen circumstances happen, such as illness, accidents, problems that you didn't see coming, you know, things that, that change the way your life look, that change the terrain of your life. Um, or maybe it's just someone who's, you know, been going about there every day, and they've drifted a little bit away from God, and they're in a dry season, and they don't feel so close to him anymore, and they think about their Christianity, and they think, you know, I am feeling a little bit lost. You know, sometimes we can come to a place in life, and we begin to ask questions or say these things to ourselves. How did I end up here? You know, <laughs> you wake up, you look at your life, and you think, how did this happen, you know? Or, I've heard this a lot, I feel stuck, or I'm in a rut, or is there any meaningful future ahead for me? Or does anything I, I do have any meaning to it? Does anything I do really matter? Uh, do I have any importance? Am I important? You know, there are eight billion people in this world. I'm just one drop in an ocean. Am I important, and I, am I even important in this life? Where do I belong? You know, if you've ever asked these questions of yourself, you know, and felt a little disoriented in life, it only means one thing. You're human, <laughs> and that's what it means. And you may have lost, you may have lost your way a little, and, and you might even feel like that in an area of your life now. For example, it might be in one area. It could be maybe in your relationship, in your marital relationship. You might feel a little lost. You don't know what's going on. Maybe it's with a family member that, you know, something's going on with someone you love, and you just don't know. I don't know the, what the next steps are. I don't know what the future looks like. I'm having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time relating. I'm having a, I'm just, I'm a little lost. You know, maybe it's at, at your job. Maybe you're working, and you think, you know, is this it? Is this it, God? This is the job. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life until I die. Because, you know, is this the job? Is this what you've got for me? Is this it? You know? Or it might not be in any one particular area. It might just be a general feeling of, you know, I don't know what direction my life is taking. I just, I just don't know what's up ahead. And let me clarify here what I mean by lost. Okay. Here's one definition. Unable to find one's way. That's like when you ask, well, I'm not, or when you say, well, I'm not sure what the future holds for me. Or another definition, not knowing um, one's whereabouts. That's a definition of lost. You know, how did I end up here? Or this one, that which has been taken away or cannot be recovered. That's like when life takes things that we put our security in, life just takes them away from us, such as money, position, your title, your beauty, your health. You know, we lose people in our lives. They pass away or they move and they're not in our lives anymore. And life, as, you know, as we know, it's changed. It just looks different. And we feel 
are little at, a little at a loss, you know. And then when someone says, I feel lost, you know, it, it kind of indicates that that person feels unable to find his or her way. You know, it's sort of like the sat-nav of your life is just buffering. <laughs> you're driving, you're driving, and you're like, come on, speak. <laughs> come on, speak. Come on, we're coming up to a junction here, and I don't know what to do. You know, did you ever have that? <laughs> yeah. We know, we know. Technology, gotta love it. But that's sometimes what it feels like in life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Now, <clears throat> in the book of Isaiah, God's people are off track from how he asked them to live. He asked them to live a certain way and to do certain things. And in the book of Isaiah, they're not doing those things, and they're off track. They fell away from him. They stopped obeying him. They stopped doing the things that he asked of them. And they lost their way as the people of God. Because, and because of this, they, they were in a lost state. And they were asking similar questions to the ones that I just put out there. Um, how did I get here? What's, what's ahead for us? You know. Now, from this point, I just want to make clear, I'm not saying that if you're feeling a little lost in an area, that it's because of sin. I want you to not just get that out of your head. Take that thought throw it out, because that's not what I'm saying. What I want you to see here, because in a moment I'm going to read a scripture from Isaiah, and I want you to notice something, okay? I want you to notice that God wasn't happy that they were feeling this way, because he desperately wanted to help them find their way again, okay? He desperately wanted to help them, and he wanted to get them from this very sad and wandering, dark place. And he wanted to get them to a place where the path was clear, where he turned their darkness into light, and they knew the next steps to take that they could see the way forward. And he wanted to give them plans, the plans he had for them, and he wanted them to be able to be living out the plans of God that he had for their life, okay? Okay, so here's what God wanted to see for his people. We're going to be reading Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 10. Now, the first part of the chapter, right, God is saying, you know, if you, my people, if you'll begin again to do the things that I asked you to do and get back on the track, and we start at verse 8, okay? Verse 8, if you do those things and get back to doing what I ask you to do, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal and your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you, when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. And here he's going to say to them the things he doesn't want them to do. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing the finger and spreading vicious rumors. He didn't want them to do that. He said, stop doing that. But he did want them to do this next bit. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as the noon. The Lord will guide you continually giving you water when you are dry, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And I love this bit because he's saying to them, okay, I want you to get back on the track now, right? 
And, and when you do, oh, I'm going to do all these great things, and I'm so desirous to do all these great things. And I love this next bit because he's saying, listen, guys, not only do I, I not I want to get you out of this place of not knowing what to do and the sat-nav of your life just, you know, buffering, buffering, buffering. He says, but I've got plans for you. I've got such good plans. And for some of you, he's given out some of these plans. For some of you, you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. He's saying, isn't that awesome? I want to give, I want to help you here. I want to shed the light. Look at, I have some great plans. Here are some of them, and some of you are going to be able to do these things. Listen to what some of my plans for you are. And they're wonderful. It's about restoring and helping and building up and making everything beautiful again. Now, the bottom line here is that what I'm saying is being lost in any way, God is not what God wants for any living human being on this planet. He does not want that. And if you are his child, if you already are here and you have a relationship with God and you belong to him, then I need to say this. You aren't actually lost, okay? Even if you feel a little lost in life for one reason or another. You know, as God's children, we are actually the most found people on the planet. We are the most found people on the planet. And if you're feeling a little lost, he wants to turn the lights on for you. He wants to, and he wants to get that sat-nav to stop buffering so you know the plans he has for you. He says, we all love Jeremiah 29, 11, don't we? For I know the plans I have for you. He's not saying, I know the plans I have for you, and I am never going to tell you what they are. I'm going to let you walk through life. I'm going to make sure it's really dark and that you really stumble over everything and that you miss it because that's my goal. That's not God. No, 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 no. This is God that he wants to turn the lights on. He wants you to know the things he has for you, and he has plans for you. Okay, so lost in the scriptures, right, when it talks about being lost, is unconnectedness to God. I don't even know if that's a real word, but it's my word, and I'm using it today. Uh, Being unconnected from God. Okay, there, that's the English teacher in me. Unconnected from God, unconnectedness to God. And, you know, throughout the scripture, we see when there are lost things and lost people, God always wanting to fix that. Always. You know, in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables in a row. You know what they're about? A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. With the lost coin, there's a woman. She lost this valuable coin. She goes about and cleans her whole house, sweeps the whole thing, finds the coin, and then tells all the neighbors and rejoices about, I found my coin, right? So she finds it. Lost sheep, shepherd, Loses a sheep. He has all 100 sheep. One just wanders off. He says, yo, 99 sheep, stay there, okay? I'll be right back. And he goes out, and he looks for the one sheep. He finds the sheep. He brings it back, and he rejoices. Oh, and this is my favorite one, the prodigal son, the lost son. That son who was in the father's home leaves the father's home to go live some crazy, stupid life that was unfulfilling in every way and more so than that because he ends up in a pigsty eating pig food. And then he thinks, oh, even my father's house was a lot better than this. So he gets up to his senses and he comes back and he 
walk in there thinking it and said, how am I going to be? I'll be my father's slave. That's what. He'll accept me back as a slave, won't he? When the father sees him, he runs out to him even when he was far away because he could just see this little tiny thing that he just knew was his son. The son was lost. And he gets that son and he brings him back home. And he says, and he says my son was lost and now he's found. You know? I believe God has a real aversion to lostness. <laughs> I know it. I know it. You know, when we belong to God, when we belong to God, and he becomes our father, right? When we, we get into his family, he's our father. You know, the main thing he wants from us, he wants our love. He wants our love. He wants us to love him completely, sincerely, and with every fiber of our being. Jesus said in Luke 10, 27, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. What is your heart? Your heart, the scripture says, is the control center for all the rest of your life. Everything that flows through your heart flows into every other area of, of your life. So whatever's going on in the heart will affect every, every, every area of your life, okay? Your soul, what is your soul? Your soul is your emotions, your creativity, your giftings. What is your strength? Everything that you have that gives you strength on this earth, your health, your wealth, your substance, that's everything that you own. And what is your mind, your thoughts, your ideas, and your intelligence? In that one statement, Jesus pretty much said, just love God with everything that you are in every part of your whole entire life. <laughs> right? But he said it a lot more eloquently than that, more beautiful. You know, and when we, we are in all of those areas of our life, heart, soul, mind, strength, all those areas of our life, when we are firmly and fully connected, right? Think of it as a plug socket. Here's God. These are all the wires that are all here. Some wires right here. Um, I planned that. <laughs> and um, you take all of those plugs and you plug them into God, every area of our life. You know what that does? That gives God one of those badges that you get at rock concerts, all access area, you know, so you could go in the back and meet the band. And Well, that gives God that badge in your life, that he has all access area to every single area of your life. And you want to know when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, he wasn't saying that to make God happy. He was saying that because this is God. Like I said, you come to worship him, but he wants to bless you. He, wants you, he says, love him in all those areas. And you want to know why? What happens when you do that? When you love him in all those areas, then he comes, who is the giver of life, and he comes, and the floodgates of your heart are lifted, and he floods into every area of your life, like a, like a, like a, a crazy flood, but in a good way. <laughs> and he comes into all those areas, and we begin to flourish in every area that we are fully in love and plugged into him with. Okay, and one, when God finds us, right, on that day that we came to know the Lord and he found us, right, one of the perks of our foundness, of our connection to him is that when we are found by God, automatically on that day, he reveals to us our purpose and he, we, and he has plans for us. Plans and purpose come automatically on that day. 
You didn't even know all that was happening. You just said the sinner's prayer, and you thought, well, it's wonderful. I'm going to heaven now. It's really good, and I can start a relationship with the Lord. And, you know, that's what was happening on the surface. If you could see in the spirit, what you'd have seen was those floodgates lifting, and you, and you would see what, whatever this would look like in the spirit. You'd see purpose and plans flooding into those every area of your life that's now connected to him. That's what you would see, purpose and plans. Now, let me talk about purpose and plans. What do I mean by that? Purpose. Pur- the purpose of something is the reason why that thing exists. It's the reason why it was created. And I'm just going to put it out there right now. You know, we got a whole world wondering, what is it all about, you know? Well, why am I here? You know, everyone, they're all asking that, right? But I'm going to just tell you what it is, and we know that as the people of God. Our purpose, the reason why we were created, the reason why you exist is this. It's God in, God's intended purpose for every human. This is every human's purpose. They just don't know it. Every human's purpose is to be connected to God and to let our lives bring him glory. That is your purpose. That is your purpose for being here. That is your purpose for breathing. That is your purpose that you wake up every day to be connected to him and to bring him glory. Now, plans are a little different, okay? Plans are this, okay? A detailed proposal for achieving something. You know when you go on holiday, there's always that one person, isn't there? And, and you think you're going on holiday to sit on the beach and relax and, you know, just put on your dark glasses and hat and ignore the world and just get the sunshine you've been missing here in the UK, right? Okay, but there's always that one person, and they know the plans they have for you. And they pull out from their pocket this thing that just rolls onto the floor, and it's a detailed proposal of what they want to do on holiday. We're going here, and then we're going here, and then we're going here, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to need a holiday from my holiday. But that's what it is. The plans are a detailed proposal for achieving something, or I like this one, arrangements made in advance. You know, God wants to use our lives, right? And he has plans for each of us. And this is the interesting thing. The plans that he has for us help carry out our purpose. You see, our purpose and our plans work in harmony. That's how God intended it to be. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. And when he says that, when Paul says that in Ephesians, he means the born-again person who has Jesus living inside of him of them, and they are now a new creation in Christ. So let's knowing that, let's read that again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things that He planned for us long ago. He planned the plans that He has for you specifically in your life, because He knew you were coming. Even if your parents didn't know you were coming, he knew you were coming. And he had plans for each and every one of you. You know, and you might feel a little lost in life. And it could be because, like I said, you're in an unsettling season of life. But the truth is that when God found you, he gave your life purpose and he prepared plans for you to fulfill that purpose. And if you want to get unstuck in life, get out of that rut and see forward and see some meaningful future, then there's something that you're going to have to do, okay? And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to ditch the lie. 
you're going to have to ditch the lie of I'm lost. You know, as strong as it might feel, and sometimes a lie can feel really strong. It can. You need to be, you need to know it's a lie and you need to now change what you're saying. And you need to say this, I'm actually not lost, but I'm very much found. I'm very much found. Now, I'm going to share three quick thoughts with you. And these three thoughts that I'm going to share with you are going to help you to ditch the I'm lost lie. And it's going to, these three thoughts, these three biblical truths are going to help you cling to, to the truth, which is that you are found in every way in Jesus. Okay? First thing. <clears throat> okay. Now, these are three things God wants you to know. And these three things that God wants you to know are going to pave the way for him to reveal his plans. Okay? That's what I want you to think of these as. That as I'm giving you these three things, they're paving the way, making it smooth for God to reveal those plans that he has for you. All right. Number one, you have to believe that as badly as you desire direction in your life, you want direction. That God desires just as badly to guide you into the plans he has for you. He wants that probably more than you want it. Let me read Psalm 57.2 to you. It says this. I cry out to God, most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. You want to know why this scripture, oh, it's a lovely scripture. Yes, yeah, really good. But this is even more lovely when you know the history. You see, David, king, David wrote this when he wasn't king yet. And David, when he was a little boy, he was out tending the sheep one day, and what happens is he gets home, and the, the prophet is there, Samuel, and Samuel was waiting for him to come in because God had spoken to Samuel and said, I, need, I want you to anoint the new king of Israel. So he comes to the house, he's got his pot of oil, and he looks at all the brothers and says, nope, 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 goes down the line. He says, do you got another one? He says to Jesse, and he says, he's just a little kid. He's out on the hills. He says, get him in here. Get him in. So he comes. He comes in, and it says that he was ruddy of face. So I always think of this little kid that looks like the Campbell's Soup Kid. Yes, father, <laughs> with a pink face. What is it, daddy? And he comes in, <laughs> and he says, this is what goes on in my mind when I'm reading the Bible. And, and Samuel goes, you're the one right? So he cracks open that oil, anoints David's head with oil. It's running down him and says, you are the next king of Israel. Samuel goes home. David wrote this 15 years later, and he's still not king. And he's running from the then king, Saul, who's trying to destroy him. And it says that David writes these words, I cry out to God most high, most high to God, who will fulfill his purpose for me. You see, just like David had purpose and plans, God has purpose and plans for you. It's just that David found out when he was very, very young what that purpose and plans is. Just because you don't know what they are, the plans, doesn't mean they're not there. They are there. And when it says, I cry out to God, what is that? That's prayer. That's prayer. We call it a fancy name, prayer. But actually, it's when we call out to God, when we talk to him. And what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation, isn't it? And it's weird if I were to talk to you to Claire over here and say, hey, Claire, blah, 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 blah. But, but I don't give two seconds to listen to Claire. That's weird. 
And God's not weird, okay? So when you cry out to God, God will answer you. And he will speak, and maybe not in that very moment, maybe when you're done. Maybe, you know when God talks to me a lot? Sometimes when I'm in the shower, because I'm all chilled out and whatever, and he answers all the questions I asked that morning, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, he waited till now to do it, or till that week, or maybe when you're falling asleep, or maybe he'll give you a dream, or maybe... I don't know. I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it, okay? So when we cry out to God, it's asking God, what is your path for me? God, what are your plans for me? And that's how it begins. Go to God. Ask him. Ask him. But you can ask him with expectation that you know he wants to help you more than you even wanted to ask that. He wants to answer that. He wants to do it. John 16, 13 says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. That's what he wants to do. He wants to download things to you about your future. Okay. Um, When I was first married... We'd only been married a very short time. I was at the end of my time in university. There was only months to go. We were also associate pastors in a church. We had committed to being associate pastors to a church in Queens, New York. And um, it was coming to the end of of our time there because we had given, uh, said we'd be there a year, and the year was almost up. And I had plans for myself. Now, I'm in uni, and I'm studying to be a teacher. And I said, okay, in my mind, I was going to get my teaching job, and I was going to go for my master's degree in the evenings. We loved America. There was nothing wrong with it. We were happy there. I'm a real family homebody, and I have eight brothers and sisters. And um, I was very close with them, and I love them. So, you know, I never thought in my life. I'd live far from them. That was just never. We'd net, me and Andy never discussed living in England, okay? Never. But when I was praying, Andy went away on a ministry trip. So he was away and I was still doing the things that I was doing for church and for my university degree. And I was praying. Every time I went to prayer during that week he was away, I just had this heavy impression on my heart that I was going to move to England. I tried to get rid of it. I was like, no, no. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. No. Right? Because I loved my family. The thought of just leaving them was just really, really hard. Um, But you know what? It got too strong. It got too strong. And I wrote it down in my journal. And I said, okay, and this was the days with no phones. Like, I couldn't say, let me text Andy. You know? Because it wasn't. So a, a conversation on a phone costs a lot of money. So I'd say, I'll wait till he gets back, and then we'll have a real conversation, sitting, we're looking into one another's eyes, which is something a lot of people don't do these days, right? And um, so he comes back from his ministry trip, and I'm going to share with him what I felt was on my heart, you know, because I just wanted to see what he thought about that, right? Um, okay, we sit down, we're having our cup of tea, and he says, um, Gina, I have to tell you something because... God's really been speaking to me in a really heavy way while I've been away. He says, I really feel we're going to be going to England. And I was like, you stole my thunder. (laughs) But the thing was, God 
was downloading his plans for us. And I love that he did it that way because it really confirmed it for me. If it had just been me, then it would be like, well, I don't know, you know if it was really meant to be. But it was both of us separately, and we came together, and we discovered that God wanted us. He's not going to tell you every little step of the way because he wants you to have faith, doesn't he? But he is going to tell you the next step. And in obedience, as you do it, then he'll give you the next step, and then he'll give you the next step and the next step until you're walking in your destiny. And that's what happens. Okay, number two, the second thing you need to know to pave the way for God to reveal his plans for you. As a, you need to know this, okay? As a child of God, your life has meaning, Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, when, when I finally get that degree, oh, it's, my life's going to have so much meaning. Or, um, you know, when I really finally become wealthy and I'm able to support missionaries and give to the church, then my life will just have so much meaning. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Oh, when my kids grow up and they all fly the nest and I could spend hours in prayer and hours in Bible study, and I can just go visit the sick. Oh, my life will have so much meaning. No, 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 and no. (laughs) Your life, every single one of us in this room, if there's breath in your body, even if you, whatever, just, just sitting there, not doing one other thing, your life has meaning already. Your life is steeped in meaning You just woke up that way. You did. You woke up and your life meant something today. It meant something yesterday. Let me tell you about King Solomon. Now, you all know King Solomon in the Bible. He was King David's son. He was the wisest and wealthiest man on the face of the earth, the Bible tells us, right? And he started out really well. He loved God. I mean, he built the temple of God. Okay, he was the one God wanted to build his home, his temple. And so this guy just was, had an amazing, like, revelation of God. He even saw, on, when he dedicated the temple, he saw the fire of God fall from heaven and hit the altar of God and light it. Okay, so this man had supernatural experiences with God. He started out great, but things went a little awry, not right. And the whole middle bulk section of his life he fell away from God. He fell away from God. It says he became an idolater and served other gods, and, and, and he fell away from God. Later in his life, he wrote a book. He wrote a book about it, <laughs> and it's Ecclesiastes. That's the book he wrote. Now, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a downer, okay, because the theme of his book is meaningless, meaningless. (laughs) Everything is meaningless. (laughs) And you want to know why he wrote that? Because he was the wisest man in the world, okay, and he was the richest man at the time, just, just rich king, and he could afford to do every single thing in the whole world that you want to do to bring fulfillment to your life. He wanted all the best vehicles, back then it would be horses and chariots and whatever, He could get all of them. He wanted castles and houses and lands. He could get them. He wanted whatever it is, whatever it is. He had a 1,000 wives. I mean, that's a little much, but he could do that because he was a king. Well, no, he actually had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I don't don't know. 300, I mean, he had a 1,000 women in his life, okay? (laughs) Anyway, he had everything you would think to fulfill your life. 
So he says, and he, and he goes through each thing that he, from the beginning of the book, he starts, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. It was meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. It was like trying to catch the wind. Can you do that? No, it leaves you empty. I did this, I did this, I did this. Some of the stuff was really good. He's like, love your wife, enjoy your children. Be and he actually says this, um, and, and, and do all these things with your meaningless life. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, but yes, he says all of that. And then, so he fell away from God his whole life. But you know how he ends the book? He ends the book this way, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, after all this, and that's after all this living to see what else is out there. And he tried everything. After all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands because this is all that we were created for. The wisest man on the face of the earth who tried absolutely everything, and he comes to that conclusion. Amazing, amazing. Your life has meaning if you are a child of God, if you are already connected to him, if you already love him, you are already doing what you were created for. And it took the wisest man on the face of the earth his whole life to realize that. And something in me tells me that maybe you're a whole lot wiser if you're a young person and you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength right now. Okay. So when you go to God, though, and you're asking, right? Because I said we go to him, we ask him, right? We, and you ask him for these plans. You just need to know this, that the plans are not what's going to bring meaning to your life. The only thing that brings meaning to your life is a relationship with him. And if you have that, then you don't need to say to God, oh, God, make my life mean something, because it already means everything to him. It already means everything to God. He loves you, and you are doing, if you are connected to him, if you are a child of God and made that decision, you already belong to him, and your life is steeped and overflowing with meaning. Okay, third thing to know that's going to help to pave the way so that he can reveal those plans for you nice and easy. He'll be able to do it. Third thing you need to know. Your life is valuable, okay? Valuable. Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation just because I like the way they word it. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the Anointed One. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Now, Paul wrote that, right? And in other translations, it says, we have become his masterpiece. But he uses a Greek word there, and the Greek word he uses for masterpiece is poema, and it's where we get our word poem, okay? And what that word means is it means masterwork, uh, masterpiece and work of art. You are God's masterpiece. Did you ever think of what the new creation that you are on the inside, that day that you gave your life to Jesus, inside of you, inside of you, you became divine poetry. And this is not going to be like any other poetry, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson or whatever. It's not going to be like that kind of poetry. When God writes poetry, it's really, really, really special, right? 
It's, it's different than any other kind of poetry. You're God's masterpiece. You're his poem. You're his work of art. And when we begin to view ourselves this way, we begin to understand our absolute incredible value in Christ. You know, what is art? What is art? Art's beautiful, it's valuable, and it is an expression of the inner being of the maker, of the artist. That is who you are as a new creation in Christ on the inside of you. If you could see what's on the inside, you would be flabbergasted, flabbergasted. Now imagine right now, okay, you've all heard of the Mona Lisa, right? It's not a very big painting, right? But so imagine I had that right now and I'm holding that in my hand, my, my arm right here, because I could probably do that because it's quite small, right? And pretend that this microphone here is a double chocolate ice cream cone, okay? <laughs> and let's say I'm just giving you a little, little talk, a little chat on some art, like some things about this Mona Lisa that are really special, right? So here I am, and I'm taking my, um, my ice cream cone, and I'm using it like a pointer stick, you know, because I'm just trying to, you know, do two things at once, right? Just whatever. So I'm like, hey, did you see this? And look at her smile, like over here. Like, you see that, like that? And, and wait, look, did you notice, like, how, like, there's, there's a glint in her eye. Did you see that? What is she looking at? And I'm, and I'm dripping my double chocolate ice cream cone all over the Mona Lisa. You know, some of you out there would be like, is that the real Mona Lisa? Is she crazy? She, you know how much that thing's got to be worth? Well, tell her to stop. Pastor Jeff, make her stop. <laughs> right? And you want to know something. Um, fine, fine art connoisseurs, which I am not one. All my fine art in my house comes from the range. But fine art connoisseurs, people who really understand fine art, have tried, I mean, this is what they do for fun, I guess. They sit around and say, well, I wonder how much it's worth. Well, they came to a conclusion that it's worth, okay, not this, $675,467,725 British pounds sterling. So it's just under 7 million pounds, the, the worth of it. But did you want to know something that it's actually very priceless to the French people? It's so priceless that they've made a law that it can neither be bought or sold. Hmm, interesting. But I found this one a little shocking, right? And, and it's actually true of a lot of really, really fine art. It's not insured. Can you believe that? It's not insured. If that building burns down or if someone blows it up, you know, a terrorist or whatever, it's gone forever. There's no replacing it. And that's why it's uninsured because you can't, you could destroy it, right? And you can get insurance money, but you can't get another Mona Lisa. I mean... Seven million might make your heart feel a little better, but it's not going to bring Mona Lisa back, is it? No, it's not. <clears throat> and actually, what we do know is this, that the, the true value of something is what someone is willing to pay for that thing, right? God was willing to pay for your life and my life and for the sins in our life with the blood of his son, I think if that's all I said about our value, that that's enough. That it costs the blood of his son for your life. Does that give you some inclination of the value that God has for you? That he would do, allow that for his own son? You know, and like I said before, 
we are poetry, but not like poetry, like, you know, the, like man's poetry. We're God's poetry. And what that means is this. God looks deeper than our flesh and our skin, and he looks to the inside of you. And you want to know what you are on the inside? You are his eternal poetry. You're eternal. You will never really die. Just, just let this thought come over your mind that in 50 million years, you will have consciousness. In 100 million years, you will be somewhere. And if you are a child of God, you will be with him. You know, and it says this of us in the scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.16, outwardly we're perishing, but inwardly we're being renewed. We're going from strength to strength. It says we're being renewed day by day. This is the kind of poetry God makes, you know, renewing. We renew, we're, you know, we get better with, with time on the inside. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, that God has set eternity in their hearts. That means every single one of us has eternity inside of us, which means that there's something inside of us that absolutely knows that there is something beyond the grave. Did you know most people out there who, who don't know God actually believe there's something out there? The majority of people are not complete atheists. They would say maybe they're agnostic, which means they believe there's something. I don't know. But they almost all believe that there is life beyond the grave. You want to know why they're able to do that? Because God has placed a seed of eternity in their hearts. Isn't that a grace? Isn't that a grace for a lost person that they should even wonder that there's more and then so seek if there is more? And then we pray they find Jesus. Okay, what a grace. So when we understand that we're eternal and we can become eternity-minded, and, and when you become eternity-minded and you start knowing that you are an eternal being with an eternal future forever, you will be alive forever, it puts a whole new spin on life. Having an eternal perspective in many ways is the key to a true Christ-following life, is understanding that you go on forever. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if we let this reality sink in, it will change the way we think about everything in our whole lives, the way we live our lives, what is important to us and what is not important to us. And I'm going to read a quote to you. It's from a book. I'm nearly at the end. This is it. This was my third point. I'm reading you a quote from a book called Heaven, Your Real Home. Highly recommend it. It's by a woman called Johnny Erickson Tata. And it's a beautiful book. So if you know anyone in heaven and you read this book, your heart will be warmed. Okay? But this is the quote. When a Christian realizes his citizenship is in heaven, he begins acting as a responsible citizen of earth. He invests wisely in relationships because he knows they're eternal. His conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because he realizes these are going to have a bearing on his everlasting reward. He gives generously of time and money and talent because he's laying up treasure in eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fill heaven's ranks with his friends and his neighbors. All this serves the pilgrim well, not only in heaven, but on earth, for it serves everyone 
around him. You need to remember that your most valuable asset, the most valuable asset to who you are, is that you are eternal. You are of great value. These are the three things. God wants to, God wants to bring guidance to your life more than you even want it. Your life's meaningful right there, as it is. You don't need to do one more thing. If you gave your heart to the Lord, it's, it's steeped in meaning. And you are of great value. You are the most valuable commodities on the whole entire earth. You are eternal. You know, these aren't just good thoughts. These are God thoughts. And they're very simple, but they are transformative. If you want, if you want to change your life, get these in your heart. Think about them. Meditate on them. Write these three things as your screensaver on your phone. <laughs> and look at them every day. Think about these things. If you get these three things into your heart and you really believe these things that you're valuable, meaningful, and, and, and all of these things that I've just said and God wants to hear you in prayer and wants to answer that prayer, it's going to change your life. Your, your expectation that God wants to help you every time you go to prayer is just going to be so high. Your confidence is going to grow in God, and as he downloads those plans, you're not going to say, oh, no, not me. I can't do that. No, no, no way. I'm, th this is me you're talking about. No, you're going to be confident. And the other thing is, you're, when you know your value, you're not going to be afraid to aim high. When God says to you, listen, listen, who, who was I? I was this nobody, little young girl in Queens, New York, one of nine children, and God says to me, you're going to go to England and preach the gospel. Imagine if I was like, no, God, not me. Mm -mm. Look at me. I'm just, I'm worth nothing. When we know our value, when God begins to reveal those plans, you are not going to be stubborn and be like, no, 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 no. You're going to say, yes, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're my strength, but you said I could do it. You're going to help me do it. Yes, Lord. And you are going to find yourself in the middle of your destiny, living out the things that God has planned for you from the very beginning. And, you know, we live in a world that's falling apart. People are wandering around. They don't know what they're doing out there. All you have to do is watch the news for for five minutes to see that, right? But you, in the middle of it all, is going to be this confident person who's assured, knows where they're going, has filled with the direction of God in their life. And you know what one of the most attractive things to, to lost people are? People who know where they're going. People who know where they're going. And that's what I want for me. That's what I want for you, and it's important that we live in the plans God has for us for a lost and dying world. And um, it would be amiss of me right now if I said that you were all these things in Jesus, and then if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, for me to just walk out that door and not ask you, do you want a life of purpose? And, a li and do you want to know what you're here on this earth for and the plans God has for you? If you say no, I know you're lying. <laughs> Everyone wants to know those things. Well, you can have those things if, in Jesus. When the maker of all life comes to live inside your life, he brings his purpose and his plans. Is there anyone in this room? And don't be embarrassed and don't be afraid. Everyone in here wants you to do, come to the Lord. That, that doesn't know Jesus who wants to know Jesus.
Is there anyone here? Just put your hand really high if you're a person, just so I can see it. Is there anyone? Okay, well, amen. I'm so glad that everyone in the room is, is born again and knows Jesus. Well, I hope that I have, um, I have brought you encouragement today, and I hope that I've given you hope, and I hope that, <laughs> that when you go home today, if you are in a place where you're feeling a little lost, that you come to Jesus, and you know that you're not lost, and he's got good things for you. All right, I'm going to pass it back over.